0: All right, this morning is the last Sunday of a series that we've been in the last, I think, six weeks called Encounters with Jesus. And I've heard from many different people that they have loved this series because one of the things we've been doing is each week we have been listening to somebody share a story from their life or stories from their life about their encounters with Jesus. In fact, I've had tons of people who have came up and said, you got to hear mine. And um, it's been awesome. In fact, what we will probably end up doing is figuring out some ways to regularly incorporate this into our time of worship. Because stories are important. And everybody has a story. And everybody's story matters to God. And everybody who encounters Jesus, their story can be made better. And so this morning, uh, as we're going to be wrapping up the series um, we're going we're to look at a few encounters that Jesus had with some people. Uh, but before we do, I want you guys to check out this video um, from my friend, uh, Joe Coffin. Joe uh, was a pastor. He, he's retired. You can never really retire as a pastor. Um, but he, uh, he and his wife, Hazel, has been a part of our church community and their grandson, Seth, for um, probably four or five months now, and uh, the Lord laid it on my heart. So every person who I asked to do the video, there was no, like, I had no ulterior motive. I had no thing. God just placed him on my heart, like, I want to hear these people's stories. And so um, Joe's is a really cool story that I hope maybe blesses you, and one of the cool things about stories, I think, is that oftentimes we can find ourselves in there, and we can also find uh, how God might be teaching us something uh, in the midst of hearing someone else's story. So, uh, would you guys check out this video behind me and uh, listen into what Joe uh, has to say about his encounters with Jesus?
1: My name's uh, Joe Coffin, um, 76 years old, and we've been coming here to church since, gee, I'm not sure when—last October maybe—and uh, so just give you a little bit of my story, um, kind of how I got going. I've been a pastor for almost 50 years, and and uh, I was raised in a little country church and where mom was the one that was really the pusher in the church and kind of when the doors were opened, I'm the middle of seven kids and we were there regardless. Um, and so we had a revival when I was about eight or nine years old and and uh, I went forward in that service and and uh, asked the Lord into my heart and and uh, was baptized and got busy then and, and things kind of went along uh, when I got to be about 16 years old I thought man I don't know how the rest of the world lives being raised in the country on a farm and and uh, so I decided in myself that not that I was giving up God but that I wanted to go out and kind of see how the other half lived and so there's been a few years running around getting a little wild not bad just a little wild and went along and and uh, my wife came back she was my my wife now i'll put it that way uh, she came back into my focus uh, my grandmother uh, Grandfather passed away and we moved down to take care of grandfather and or my grandmother and and um, so thrown me into a different school, and that was where she was. And we had went to church together when we were about six years old, and uh, got a picture where I got my arm around her. and uh, she couldn't stand me then, and so things have changed a little over the years. And so we started dating, and time went along. We got married, and we'd been married a year, and we had a baby, and, and uh, she was a love of my life. And I come home from work one morning, and, and uh, she always met me crying, and, and, and I'd go in and pick her up, and she'd start laughing. I'd get her up and give her a bath and get her ready for, put her back down after I fed her. And, and uh, that one morning I came in, and there was a lump about the size of my fist sticking out underneath her ribs and uh, I asked my wife I said what's this and she says well I don't know it wasn't there last night so long process we started hunting around got her to a doctor and ended up in Indianapolis at the hospital and turned out that it was a type of lung cancer the cancer was on the outside of the lung and they cut her half in two trying to go in and get it out but they couldn't and uh, so at eight little about eight months old she passed away and during that time i'd done a lot of praying asking god to save her and heal her and all those kind of things and and then she dies and i'd promised god that you know if you'll do it i'll, I'll come back i'll do what you want me to do and and uh, she ended up passing away and devastating uh, spatially being our first one, my wife and I both just about lost it and, and uh, so it was a hard time getting through that and getting started back and I'd like to say that that drew us right back into church but it didn't, it started the process of getting me back into church and Time went along and we had three more kids, all girls, and uh, we went to alumni one Saturday night and I had promised mom that I'd be at church that Sunday morning. Well, the school that we went to was about five blocks down the road from where we lived and, and so we went to alumni and I ended up walking home that night because I wasn't fit to drive home. And... I got up about half sick that Sunday morning, and we went to church cause I'd promised Mom and how you're not gonna to do what you promised and and I'm sitting there in church feeling really bad, and I think everybody in the church was staring at me, and but they weren't, but I thought they were. And we went back home and come back that night, and I was feeling better, and at the end of the service, God was really tugging at my heart and so I went to the altar and when I got done praying I looked down at the other end of the altar and Hazel was down there at the other end and and she'd come forward and give her heart to the Lord and and that began a long history of getting back to the Lord and and we got busy in the church. I became one of the deacons and was busy working and doing all those kind of things and um, kind of went along and and uh, we had a missionary come in one night and, and he was from New Tribes Mission and I really felt a tug to um, to get in to the word and get into preaching. I had filled in for the pastor a few times done some preaching in some small churches around and had been kind of busy doing those kind of things. And there's a verse in Romans chapter 10 that the missionary shared with me and and starts in verse 13. And uh, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent Um, that really struck home and so we decided we was going to go to school and I was going to get into the ministry and I thought missionary work and so we went and and uh, to New Tribes Bible Institute in Waukesha, Wisconsin and uh, my senior year our oldest daughter then um, came down with a brain tumor and we had to come back home for her surgeries and, and about uh, several years later she had another brain tumor come up and had to have another surgery on it and and uh, so we went through that and, and she got through that. She got married and had some kids and, and our other daughters grew up and they got married and, and life went along. And I was busy preaching and busy working and preaching and all these things and, and uh, doing those things that God wanted us to do and serving different churches. And in 2012... Um, Her second daughter then uh, came down with cancer. And um, she had over 200 tumors throughout her body. Um, They couldn't give her chemo because it made her, she was allergic to it. And it would kill her. And one of her favorite verses that she lived by during that time that she was going through that was, Jeremiah twenty nine, uh, I think. Jer uh, twenty nine eleven, and uh, take a second here. I find for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days, when you pray, I will listen. And sitting with her for four months while she was. Dying, um, going through that time with her, and she'd tell me, "Now, Dad, don't be a, don't be sorry when I die, because Jesus sits on my bed every morning and talks to me." And so, how can you how can you feel bad about someone passing to the other side when they when they feel that strong and have that kind of a input in their heart, and and it really spoke to my heart. Uh, the things that we go through in life and um, as a pastor many years dealing with so many other people's problems um, and watching so many other people pass away I always prayed that I didn't want to get hardened to that fact that I I wanted to still have the compassion and love that Christ had for each and every person and that verse always kind of helped pull me back to that God's got a plan he's got a plan for our life and we never know what it is Um, we just walk it day by day take the steps that he leads us in each day and, and gets us there and when God called me into the ministry and we went to the It took me a year of running from God because I said, God, there's too many other people that are so much better than I am that could do this job so much better. And God just kept softly that little quiet voice that comes in and says, Joe, I want you to do this. Joe, I want you to do this. And so finally I gave in, and that's when we went to school and and got her training and and here 50 years later um, I'm sitting here talking to you um, you know there's there's another verse that God gave me when I was thinking about this um, to share with you This and it's in Luke chapter 12 and um, verse 48 and it says but someone Uh, someone who does not know then does something wrong will be punished only lightly but when someone has been given much much will be required in return and when someone has been entrusted with much even more will be required I leave you with this this morning that I wouldn't give up anything for the last 50 years that God has used me to be close to him and find that closeness even losing my three daughters is how devastating it's been it's been a blessing to be able to take that tragedy and help others to go through their tragedies and to help them know that there's life after that God can lead us on and carry us through those things Um, he's still carrying us he's still working on and, and getting us to the place that he wants us to be in. That verse I just read, much is required. As a pastor, we're given much. We're given much responsibilities as as everyone in our church, everyone in our community uh, relies on us to to be there and listen and to care and understand, and sometimes it really is a heavy weight on our shoulders and our wife even suffers through that even more than we do and and the family so it's important that the church understands to pray for their pastors to uphold them and their families because satan attacks us more because if he can take out the head he's taken out the body and so He just piles it on us, and God is stronger. God is there to help us through, and he will, but we have to stay close. We have to remember the plan that God has for us, and he still carries me every day and always will.
0: Everybody has a story. And everybody's story matters to God, and everybody's story uh, can change for the better when they encounter Jesus. Joe, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story. Uh, I want to be like Joe when I'm older. Um, One of the the things that I loved when I uh, got the chance to um, video it is uh, uh, Joe said he's 76, and I appreciate that he continued to talk about how he is still learning to be more like Jesus Still growing in his faith. And after he has walked through some incredible um, storms, uh, both in his own life and with the life of others, um, I love the uh, posture of humility. His story also got me thinking uh, uh, about how much it, it kind of coincides with the message this morning. You see, Joe talked about how his, his story really prior to surrendering to Christ um, had to do with kind of living his own ways kind of wanting to see what does the world look like, when it, what, you know, what, what, maybe not too bad, but you know, what can I find out living for myself rather than living for Christ? This morning uh, on this Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about this idea of learning to die so we can really learn to live, or really in many ways, learning how to crucify the selfishness inside of us. Palm Sunday, one of my favorite things about it is is Jesus rides into Jerusalem to sort of uh, have his inauguration, his big sort of ceremony as the new king of the Israelites, the long-awaited Messiah. He looks and acts nothing like what the people expected. You see, on, 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 on the people's mind, what they would have been hoping for was this show of force. They would have thought uh, that he would have ridden in on this valiant steed with this large posse with him. And instead, he rides in on a donkey with a humble, ragtag group of 12 other guys who really don't fit together other than the fact that Jesus invited them to be there. And yet people still Line the streets with their palms, yelling, Hosanna, God save us. It's this beautiful thing, though, because it reminds us it's this picture that the gospel, in many ways, is not what we want, it's what we need. The people probably wanted the powerful, military looking distinguished king this, this past week, it would have been sort of like if, if you could have been on um, spring break with me this last week, my brother-in-law, Ryan, uh, is, is somewhat of a... Pro- is he professional? He's, got, he's getting closer. He's a bodybuilder. The man eats like 20 meals a day. It is wild. Um, and he, I mean, when we walked together on the beach, it was quite an interesting duo because, you know, while I have a bit of a physique that people... Um, I don't know if they'd call it a dad bod, maybe more of a father figure... Um, Ryan looks pretty, um, Uh, he he looks a little bit more uh, like what people uh, would expect for someone who's fit and in shape. But Jesus shows us that uh, oftentimes um, the way that he shows up is on his terms. And he shows us this idea that to be great in the kingdom is going to look a little bit different than what it looks like to be great in the kingdoms of the world. That humility is going to be one of the great chief things. This morning, uh, we're going to look at two, uh, two stories in just a moment. One story of a rich young ruler who has to wrestle with whether or not he can give up all that he has so he can gain everything. Uh, and we're going to look at the story of, as the, the, the youths might call, a short king um, named Zacchaeus, uh, who has a pretty great song that uh, you'll just have to stay awake and see if I sing for you. Um, But at the forefront, I want to say this, you know, one of the difficult things, sometimes people will ask, you know, what do you think is one of the hardest things for people to follow Jesus today? And and honestly, as I have reflected upon my own life, I will say this, I think selfishness is one of the greatest stumbling blocks we face as we try to follow Jesus. I think selfishness is one of the greatest stumbling blocks we face. And here's the thing, every single one of us are selfish don't think you are, get with a group of people, have your favorite food there. Ain't no one really wanting other people. Like, you know what I mean? There, there, everyone has those dishes, right, where people are like, do you mind if I get this last one or can I try this? No. No. I've told people uh, if their marriage is like my marriage, uh, here's a smart thing. It will save you in arguments, Buy the extra french fry. Just buy it. Buy the extra french fry. It is worth it. You don't think you are selfish? Have you ever spent time with a child recently? Children, they come out of the womb, right? And they are selfish. They're not thinking about others. Pastor Cole's new uh, daughter, Haven, she's beautiful. She's wonderful. She's perfect. She's angelic. She is not going to care about their sleep. She's not, before it's bedtime, going to go, Cole, Elise, um, what time would be good for you guys tonight? No, she's thinking about her own needs. And the truth is, every single one of us do that as well. Sometimes we're just sneaky at looking like we're not selfish, right? Anyone ever do the things, let's just be honest, sometimes we, we do things to try to look better than we are. I don't know about you guys, when I used to go running outside, if someone was coming, like if I could see someone from the distance, you know, I might start running for a minute so it looked like I was running, not like I was just dying, right? We've all done it before. There's been the moments where we picked up the trash, or we picked up our dog poop only because someone was watching. Otherwise, we'd have been like, peace. (laughs) We all deal with this sense of selfishness. But one of the hard parts is we cannot lean into a life of selfishness, and actually receive Jesus as a Savior. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. He's talking to his, his main 12 disciples plus a group of people who are following him, and he just says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And he poses this question, because we've, if we've learned anything during this Encounters with Jesus series, is Jesus loves a good question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? It's a great question to ponder, right? Because we live in a world, in a culture that praises us, even sometimes kind of in Christian cultural circles, to amass things like wealth and status and prestige We look for all of sort of the the normal check marks of what the world would say is success in the good life. And yet for us who desire to follow Jesus, who desire to experience eternity with him, there's a lot of pieces that have to look like losing or dying if we truly want life. The world typically is not teaching us to think about denying ourselves. Oftentimes we are told if it feels good, sounds good, or whatever, go for it. That might be in the way that you spend your money, in the relationships that you enter into, and yet oftentimes we rarely think about the consequences of where we're going, what we're heading, and what we will experience as the consequences of our choices because one of the one of the hard pieces right is that we, we are all selfish and we all make choices and our choices will have consequences good consequences bad consequences but our 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 choices will have consequences all right two two stories this morning uh, the first one involves uh, a man who uh, we find uh, in three of the Gospels. In uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we all find this story. And if you uh, want to, to read them, go ahead and um, you know, write them down, take a picture. I want to kind of tell you the story because one of the things that I like about uh, this story and why it's interesting sometimes to, to study the different sort of versions in each one is, is in some ways it's, I, I like to think about it being like a group of people standing, right? And, and you see a car accident, right? And each of you see something maybe a little bit different that you remember that the other person didn't. And so all of the gospel writers kind of put this uh, pieces together. So essentially what happens is there is a man whom uh, is sometimes called a rich young ruler who runs up to Jesus and says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this man likely is a, uh, probably comes from Jewish descent because he's probably, if he's a Roman ruler of some sort, he's not going to call him master or good teacher or things of that nature. And Jesus uh, responds back with, uh, essentially, follow the commandments. And uh, you know, the man, though, wants to press forward and he asks him, well, which ones? And, and Jesus lists off some of the most basic um commandments. He says, you know, do these things and and you'll be good. But he says, but but, but what else? What else? There there must be. Because this man fits uh, the profile of all of us. Every single one of us at some point in life will run up into this feeling that if we don't truly surrender to Christ, we will experience a bit of of this just uneasy tension about there's got to be something else. And it might be in the middle of of a crisis in your life, It might be in the midst of going through a season of burnout or you might be dealing with depression or things like that. But every single one of us eventually at some point has to come to sort of this crossroads of understanding like there's got to be more. And so this man asks him, like, what, what else would there be? And so he looks at this man who would have had power and wealth. He would have had prestige. He would have came to the, from the right families, went to the right schools, would have had the right children, had all the things. And again, he's at this age of youth where we are obsessed with youth, right? Because we spend billions of dollars trying to make sure that we don't look old. So, this man has everything. He's done all the things right. He's kept all the commandments since he's young. And so, what does Jesus do? He looks at them and he says to this man, Sell all of your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, we might be asking the question, right? So, wait, do I have to do that? No, although if you would like to give away a bunch of possessions and give money to the poor, you could give it to the church and we'd be cool with that. But I don't recommend it. I don't think this is a story where Jesus is calling us all to give up everything we have, give the money away, and then follow him. See, Jesus is really good at meeting us exactly where we are, knowing exactly what maybe we most need to surrender in our lives. And he looks at this man who likely is obsessed with his status and prestige and his money in doing things right. He's one of those people who, who, who probably like, loves to have like, a, like a list to just check off like, I did it, ha <laughs> And Scripture says that the man, when he heard this, went away sad because he, he had great wealth. He didn't want to give it up. And from there, the story goes on where we have this interaction with uh, Jesus and his disciples and And he essentially says, it's really difficult for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God. And he says, actually, it is like a camel trying to enter into the eye of a needle. Now, this is an interesting thing. Scholars debate over and over about what does Jesus mean. Some scholars would say Jesus just loved using like, wild hyperbole and just like talking crazy and he's like literally talking about like picture a camel, little needle trying to go through. Some would say uh, that it was a, a gate into Jerusalem at the time that would have not really been um, well-equipped for a camel to make it through. And so for them to do it, they would have had to take off all of the, 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 the things that would have been on it, and it probably would have had to kind of um, get low, 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 um, as the, the kids might say, uh, to make it through. And it's posture of humility. Regardless of whatever it means, I think what Jesus is trying to get at is the fact that it will require sacrifice and humility to make it in. And it's interesting because the disciples say, like, that sounds incredibly difficult. Who then can be saved? Because, again, you have to think about in this time in this culture, they would have thought if you have high status and lots of money, it means that, like, life has been good to you, God's been good to you, etc. And he says, well, what's impossible with man uh, is possible with God. I think regardless of whether or not we're talking about a physical camel going into a needle or if we are talking about the humility that it would require a large animal like that to get rid of everything and, 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 and make its way low through things, I think regardless, it is one of those things that if we're honest, it's almost impossible to become a selfless person without the Holy Spirit interacting in our lives. Because at its core, we continually will go back to what's in it for me. We'll continue to go back to what do I get out of this? It's really easy to, in many ways, continue to drift back into this mentality. That's why, again, I love Joe's story and his sharing about the, the need and the desire to continually go. There's a reason why Jesus, when he said in the Gospel of Luke, that we, he didn't just say, pick up your cross once. He says, you have to pick up your cross daily. It requires a constant interaction. And again, this line that he says, what's impossible with man is possible with God, reminds us of our deep need for a Savior, that without Jesus, in many ways, we don't stand a chance. We can't make it through. Because our default will go back over and over and over. Because one of the issues that many of us probably deal with, and we might not even recognize it, is control. We like being in control, or at least having the, the appearance or the feeling like we're in control. One of the hard parts is you cannot follow King Jesus... And stay in control. Uh, there is only room for one on the throne of your heart. Do you ever have a person try to sit with you in a chair that doesn't fit two people? And they usually don't realize how big of a butt they have. Like this is, this is not working. Some of us like to do that with Jesus. Come here Jesus. Heaven sounds nice. Sit right here. Jesus starts kind of calling some shots in our lives. Ooh, slide over. Let me just give you, I've got a couple ideas. Let me run a few things past you. Slowly, we get where we kind of just booty bump them out, right? Many of us want the kingdom in many ways without a king because we want control, we don't want to surrender. This man's story, his interaction, his encounter with Jesus is is a sad one. We don't know how his story ended. We don't know if eventually maybe he went off and finally processed things and followed Jesus. We don't know. He was given an encounter, an opportunity to meet with Jesus, to, 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 to be invited, to just give up the things that were blocking his view, the things that were holding him back. But he couldn't do it, and he wouldn't do it. There's another story that I really like that has to do with a powerful person. This comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to read it, but let me give a little context. So, Jesus, uh, similar to um, when he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, except for maybe a slightly different thing, oftentimes when there were these people who um, were these, I hate to say it, but kind of like a celebrity rabbi, um, which just sounds like a really cool show that I would still watch today. Um, You know, in this time, if there was a teacher who was coming to town, people would kind of like make notice. And, and Jesus, at, at this point in, in, um, uh, in the story, had, had already been um, healing people. He'd been teaching. And so he was like, word of mouth was spreading, like, he's coming to town. You got to see it. And so he enters into this town called um, Jericho. And there, there's a man named Zacchaeus. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. But Zacchaeus is a tax collector. So to give a little bit of context, tax collectors uh, were not well-liked people, especially among the Jewish people. You see, the Jewish people is sort of this interesting thing. They were under the Roman rule and Roman authority, so they had to pay taxes to Rome, but they also had some of their own kind of separate governmental pieces, especially when it came to uh, kind of the religious sector of things. And so... Um, tax collectors were typically known for being um, greedy and money-hungry. They oftentimes think about uh, Robin Hood, right, where there was like the sheriff who, would, who would, would steal extra money when they would go around and do the taxation. And so this is sort of Zacchaeus. Um, and so they would have been looked at as sort of traitors, uh, as people they wouldn't like. And so this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man there by the name of Zacchaeus um, was there. He was a chief tax collector. And was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Again, now, Zacchaeus, he's a short king. I get it. I've been there. I've wanted to climb up into some trees. And yes, um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. All right, the ones who are singing, I know you might need counseling, because you, 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 you made it through uh, eating some interesting snacks in Sunday school and things like that. Me too. It's a great song. Everyone else is like, what is going on? Where am I? I always feel bad for him. I understand it's part of the story, but it's like, poor Zacchaeus. Why can't he just be Zacchaeus who, 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 who gives away half his possessions? Why has he got to be the wee little man? Why has he got to be short guy? Anyways, justice for Zacchaeus. So we wanted to see who Jesus was. He'd been hearing these stories, wanted to see who he was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, this is an interesting part of the story that sometimes we neglect. This culture would have been one, again, where we, 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 we've referred to this over the last little while, that it would have been sort of like this honor-shame culture where people of certain wealth and status, like they just didn't do certain things. There's a reason why on Thursday when we talk about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, that is not something that would have been normal. You would wash, it would be the youngest, lowest kind of person uh, there would wash the feet. And so, uh, this is actually a wildly um, interesting thing that Zacchaeus, who would have been this person, even though people would have hated him and not liked him, this would have been behavior. I mean, in some ways, it would be like if, if we were in Kokomo and all of a sudden you saw like, you know, a, a big city official or an accountant like in a full suit climbs up into this tree, you'd be like, this is a little interesting. Like, you're not used to seeing that. That, that, that seems maybe uh, a little bit below you. And yet Zacchaeus climbs up and he wants... To be there, and when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now this is interesting too. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, I have not uh, found a DeLorean that would take me back in time yet to go see this scene, but I have to imagine there was probably a lot of people there. Jericho is not a small town. It's not a small city, and so it's 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 fascinating to me the love and the care that Jesus has that he saw him. You know, we talked about it before, there's power in being seen. And Zacchaeus likely as a tax collector, as a person who honestly was probably a grade-A jerk, the fact that the Son of God would see him And then say that I want to go to your house. This would have been a really intimate sort of thing to say, like, I'm I'm choosing. I want to go to your house. This isn't the awkward thing where where it was inappropriate to invite yourself over to someone's house. This would have been a huge honor. And so Jesus sees this man and says, I want to go to your house. And so it says, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. It's interesting. Jesus Jesus was never afraid uh, to interact with people that others didn't like. I sometimes wish I was more like Jesus. Sometimes my selfishness gets in my way of meeting people where they are uh, with love and grace and an invitation to change. But they began to mutter, calling him, Oh, you're going to be this guest of sinners. But it's interesting, Jesus doesn't even have to say anything. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord. It's wild. Immediately he's already calling him Lord. Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, I love this interaction. There's this man who has made poor choices in his life, who's probably not been very kind to people, who is seen by Jesus, has an encounter with him. And it's interesting. Jesus gives him no sermon, Jesus doesn't even do any sort of like miraculous healing to him. He doesn't look at him and say, hey man, you've been kind of a jerk. Uh, Why don't you come down and let's have a conversation about this. He sees him, calls him by name, says I want to spend time with you. In an instant, this man sees his own error. I'll give you a few parting thoughts as we're going to wrap things up about how we deal with um, turning from our selfishness uh, to being focused on Christ. How we die to ourselves so we can gain life in Christ. Um, And there's some things we learn from these stories. The first one is just this, is healthy conviction comes from authentic encounters with Jesus. You know, conviction oftentimes is a word we don't like, right, because it implies the fact that there are things that are wrong. But the truth is, conviction is good, right? Um, when, when my son Silas uh, punches uh, his older brother, brother Gideon in the face, which of course never happens, I don't want him to feel shame. I don't want him to feel deep condemnation, but I do want him to feel conviction that that's not okay. I wanna have conversations with him to understand uh, that's not a good thing. Conviction is a really healthy thing that many of us ignore in our lives. Because many of us have been taught to ignore it. And here's the thing. The voice of condemnation, we don't need to listen to. When we are in Christ, we cannot be condemned. But the voice of conviction, the voice of the Holy Spirit, many of us need to listen to it more. It doesn't become the only voice we listen to. But many of us have sort of been like, let me, let me turn off the notifications on this one. Only give me the, the, the Jesus that tells me that I'm great all the time. Where's the one who looks like Mel Gibson and is holding a lamb? I'll, I'll take that one. But here's the thing. Many of us need a healthy sense of conviction. And oftentimes, the healthy sense of conviction just comes from actually being with Jesus. And when we have these encounters with Jesus, the thing is, I I worry that many people grow up never having an authentic encounter with Jesus because they have been condemned by people who say they love Jesus and they say, if that's what it's about, I'm out. Because a lot of us have gotten it twisted where we're like, hey, get rid of the junk in your life and then come to Jesus. And yet it's the reverse, right? Come to Jesus and allow him to take care of the junk. The healthy conviction is possible, it's even a good thing, but it happens when we have authentic encounters with Jesus. Here's the second big thing we learn, and this one's really important. Um, repentance has more to do with a relationship we are turning to than the sin we are turning from. Repentance is this fancy church word that just means to turn from. And the thing is, I, I worry sometimes we focus too much on what we're turning away from rather than what we're turning toward. Yes, it's important to understand that repentance is we are turning from the brokenness, the death, the sin, the rebellion, the shame that many of us find ourselves falling in traps to. But here's the thing. We don't just turn around because we don't want to go into a trap. We turn around because we want the Savior. We're turning around because we get a relationship with the God of all the universe that gives us life and life more abundantly today and forevermore. And some of us need to be reminded that while, yes, of course it's important to acknowledge our sin, to know it's there, to turn away from it, we also need to be reminded that we're turning to Jesus. Because what I see a lot of people end up happening in their lives is they are constantly spinning. Here's my sin, gonna turn from it. I never make connection with Jesus, so I just kind of keep turning and I keep having to turn over and over again. And you know what happens? You get dizzy. And you fall over and you start thinking, forget about this. Focus on what you are turning to, or really who you are turning to, more than just what you're turning away from. And lastly, uh, you cannot abide in Christ if you don't acknowledge your sin, and you won't be righteous unless you repent from it. Now let me break down a couple more church words. Abide is just this word that means remain. It means to be close to. It means to be in in close proximity of relationship. And if you don't acknowledge the sin in your life, you don't deal with it, um, you're not going to be able to abide in Christ. I, I think about it like this: we've all been standing close with someone, and they, they have let one go. The crop dusting has commenced, right? We're not sticking there. Just being honest. Do you ever want someone just to, like, stand there with you and be like, I'm just going to stay here. Like, please go away. But in many ways, we, we can't stick with Christ. We can't be close to him unless we acknowledge our sin. And then righteousness. Righteousness is this fancy church word that just really means right relationship. And if we don't repent and turn, if we don't acknowledge our sin and repent and turn from it, we won't be in a right relationship with Christ. And that's not because Jesus doesn't love us. It's not because he's not kind. Uh, but it's because we have these choices. We have these choices to make. As Pastor Cole's going to come up and we're going to sing last, one last song, I, I want to take us back to the last, the, the verse that we began with. When Jesus says this in Luke, Whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life for me will save it. Again, friends, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their very self? So, we're going to sing one last song. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand with me. And as we sing, would you take this as, as a time, as an opportunity to maybe have your own sort of conversation with Christ? Because uh, as we said at the very beginning of this series, uh, when Jesus calls, uh, we all have a decision to make. And if you're here this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you. He's looking up at you like your Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he's saying, Come down here. I'd like to spend some time with you. And the choice for you is do you choose to be like the rich young ruler who says, I don't know if I can humble myself or give up anything. Will you be like Zacchaeus, who feels the love of Christ because you've been seen and you've been loved? Will you say, I'm willing to do whatever it is to be able to follow after you, do whatever it looks like to be a part of your kingdom because you are king and I am not, because you love me right where I'm at, but love me far too much to leave me right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, we're so grateful for the fact that you uh, love us enough to um, call us out with kindness. And Father, sometimes you, you call us out with, with words that can be hard to hear, with, with just this acknowledgement, and sometimes it's just this beautiful way that you look at us, and we feel seen, and we feel loved, and we feel the sense of the Holy Spirit inside of us um, reminding us that it's time to make a change. Father, as we sing this last song, would we be reminded that you are um, the same God with the same love in the seasons where we are faithful and in the seasons when we're not? And would you remind us this morning that your great desire is for us just to come home, to be sons and daughters uh, who are dearly loved, who are forgiven, and who are free. So Father, speak to us in this time. Give us the courage to repent from our sin. And Father, give us uh, the wisdom and the guidance uh, to abide in you, to remain close to you. In Jesus' name I pray.